may be seated. Our sermon text today is Luke 23, verses 13 to 25. It seems it was a long time ago that we came to that portion of Luke where Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. And the gospel turned at that point as he marched toward the cross. The cross, which at that time was still far in the distance, but is now coming closer and closer and closer. We have almost reached the cross now. We are in the story only hours away. We recall that Jesus has come before Pilate, and then gone before Herod. Herod has sent him back to Pilate, and this is where we pick things up. But before we do that, let's turn to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. You have promised us that your word is living and active, and so we we come to your word expectantly this morning, not just thinking it's some nice story, not just thinking even that it is purely history. It is far more than that. It is the very voice of God speaking into our lives. The very voice, that same voice by which all things were created, that voice wherein dwells immeasurable power. May that power have its way with us today. Speak to us. Break us and reshape us according to your will. Conforming us to the likeness of Christ Jesus, your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Luke 23, verses 13 to 25. This is the inspired word of God. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people and After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I'll therefore punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, A man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. But they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I'll therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. 
He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked. But he delivered Jesus over to their will. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, in, in today's text, we, we see some interesting things. And right off the bat, one of the interesting things I think we see is in the very first verse that we looked at, verse 13. Uh, we see a pilot called together the chief priests and the rulers, and that doesn't surprise us at all, for that's who had brought Jesus to him. That is who had requested originally that, that he find Jesus guilty, that he might crucify him. But Pilate doesn't stop here with just the chief priests and the rulers. We see he calls together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. It's interesting that, that the people enter into this discussion, that he brings the people into it. He's, he's bringing them into this whole decision-making process. We don't know exactly why. Per, perhaps we'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he's brought them in because he knows of the support that the people have shown Jesus. Perhaps it's he has heard of what had happened on the Sunday before, just five days earlier, Palm Sunday, when Jesus had come into Jerusalem and they had thrown down palm branches in their coats before him and they had cried out praises to Jesus. Perhaps he knows that they are on his side or so he thinks. After all, we did read last week that he knew that the charges that the leaders were bringing against Jesus weren't a matter of justice, but were a matter of their envy. They were envious of the support he had gotten from the people. And so perhaps, Pilate figured this was the way he could release Jesus. He would get popular opinion to voice their view. And then there'd be pressure on the rulers to give in to it. It's interesting that Pilate would involve public opinion or be sensitive here to public opinion because, because that wasn't his normal course of action. He, he on numerous occasions, had simply uh, just steamrolled over the public view, the public opinion. He really didn't seem to care very much for it. In fact, one commentator put it this way, Pilate was almost pathologically insensitive and could be vicious when crossed. So why so different this time? Why so different? Could it be that he's wanting to use them for his purposes? Or could it be, perhaps, that he actually has some sense of what is going on, of who Jesus really is? We see that he's at least fearful of that. John says in his gospel, in John 19, as he's talking about this same event. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. And then in verse 8, Pilate, when he heard this statement, was even more afraid. Pilate was fearful because he had heard that Jesus considered himself to be the son of God. There is something about that, that that got Pilate's attention, that, that shook him up just a little at least. <clears throat> and so we see that, that he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, 
Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. He stood there silently, John tells us. So Pilate says to him, you will not speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? And Jesus answers him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And from then on, John says, Pilate sought to release him. He was fearful. He was fearful of Jesus. But he was also sadly fearful of the crowds. Because what is the next thing that John tells us after Pilate sought to release him? But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. He's fearful of what the crowds might do, what they might say. They might get him in trouble with Caesar. He might lose some of his political clout. He might lose his position. And besides that, there's something else going on that neither Luke nor John talk about. Now we bring Matthew into the equation here in his telling of it. Matthew tells us in Matthew 27, 19, besides while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. So we start to bring all these threads together. Pilate knows that Jesus is not guilty. He is fearful that Jesus might actually be who he claims to be. He knows that the Jews that have brought Jesus to him have political motivations more than a desire for justice. And now his wife comes and refers to Jesus as a righteous man that she has been greatly troubled over because of a dream that she has had. You know, the Eastern churches, the, the uh, Greek Orthodox church, and some of the Eastern churches have a tradition that, that says that Pilate's wife actually became a believer. We don't know if that's true. Perhaps it is. Perhaps it's not. We're not sure. We don't have any uh, inspired history that would tell us one way or the other. But we know this for sure. She was absolutely right in calling Jesus a righteous man. He was not only a righteous man, he is the righteous man, the only righteous man that ever was. The only man who was completely righteous, without sin, without flaw, without defect, completely perfect in every way. This is Jesus. She was right. He was a righteous man, but there was a place where she wasn't right. She urged Pilate to have nothing to do with him. That sounds like good advice, but, but as we think about it, really that's not the advice that any of us should follow. Have nothing to do with Jesus. Of course that's not what we should do. We should have everything to do with Jesus. He should so dominate our lives that we cannot imagine any aspect of our life without him. Have everything to do with Jesus is the advice that she needed to give him. Well, regardless, Luke tells us as well that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. And yet it doesn't happen because he lacked the courage of his convictions. He was sure that Jesus should be released, and yet he does not release him. And why? It's ultimately because 
He, he is following a false god. Now you say, Pete, well, well yeah, just because he's following the, the pantheon of, of the Roman gods? No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is, is the fact that he is following the god of earthly power, political power. That's the God that he was following. Tim Keller defines an idol as this. He says it's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. That's what an idol is, a false God. And see, to to seek strength from a false God or from an idol is, is a self-defeating proposition because in the end, as we, as we seek these idols to make us strong, they actually enslave us. They make us weak because they make us dependent upon them. We become fearful of losing what they promise to give us. And this is exactly where Pilate was. He was fearful of losing his clout, his position, his power, and so he was left with this difficult decision and ultimately what does he do but wash his hands of it. He says, I I take no responsibility of any of this. But even with such a symbolic action as Pilate undertakes, it makes no difference. We cannot wash our hands of our decisions, of our actions. We are fully responsible beings. Pilate tried to remain neutral, but he didn't realize there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. You know, the other day we were talking at my house about famous quotes. You know, we've got uh, Jack is about to be a senior and in the yearbook they, they have a space to put for a famous quote if you want to put a quote with your picture and all. And, and we started thinking about famous philosophers uh, like Yogi Berra. <laughs> Yogi Berra, the great baseball player, famous also for what he has said, things like, Nobody eats at that restaurant anymore. It's always too crowded. Or it's tough to make predictions, especially when they're about the future. Or the one that came to mind as I was thinking about this sermon. If you come to a fork in the road, take it. That that quote came to mind for me when I was thinking about this sermon because, you see, that's what Pilate expressly tried not to do. He came to a fork in the road. He had to make a decision. Am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? And he said, I'm not going to go either way. I'm going to to try to just stay in the middle. But the problem is when you have a fork in the road, you have to go one way or the other. There's there's no middle ground. Pilate had tried to have the Jews take care of everything, and then he had had tried to have Herod take care of everything, and now he tries to wash his hands, but but it won't ultimately work. He says, you brought me this man who was misleading people, you said, and after examining him, I I, I said, I didn't find him guilty of any of the charges, and neither did Herod, for he sent him back to me, and, and this man's done nothing deserving death. Then he says something curious. I will therefore punish him. And release him. Now that sounds kind of funny to us, doesn't it? He's completely innocent, therefore I'll punish him. Well, that's not how it's supposed to work. But see, he's trying to straddle. He's he's trying to say, okay, he's innocent, so I'm not going to crucify him like you want, but I I know you guys are upset, so maybe I can 
punish him a little bit and that'll satisfy you. And, and he's, he's trying to play both sides, trying to remain neutral in the middle. But there is no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. Jesus presents us with a fork in the road and we must decide. We're faced with the same question Pilate was faced with. What will we do with Jesus? That's the fork in the road that each one of you is faced with right now. Right now, at this moment, you are faced with that decision. What will I do with Jesus? Will I reject him as the world tells me to? Will I, will I reject him as, as, as the only way to the Father, the way and the truth and the life? No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus says. And will I, will I just, just hold to his truth that I am to follow him and go and sin no more? Or will I reject him? Or will I try to walk some middle road, which is impossible, really? See, because Jesus says, you're either for me or against me. So, so to try to stake out some neutral ground in the middle is, is not for him. What is it there for? It's against him. If you try to play the middle ground, you're actually against Jesus. You're an enemy still. And Pilate's efforts to remain neutral left him an enemy of the gospel. It was fueled by his worship of the false god of political power, and oftentimes we fall prey to that same false god, don't we? Oftentimes we think that if only we can get political clout, if only we can, we can get political power, we can get control of things, then, then everything will work out. Right? Everything will be fine. Then, and this happens, I think, in the American church, both on the right and on the left. I think we both have our political party that we, we wed ourselves to and we say, I will support this party no matter what because, because they're the, the good guys. But see, the reality is there are no good guys. And to seek political power is to seek the wrong power. Let us seek to follow after the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Perhaps for you, political power isn't the uh, idol of choice. Perhaps for you, it's something else. Wealth, or comfort, or popularity, or even good things like family. That can become an idol if we seek it more than we seek God. Today, you've reached a fork in the road. Your idol is one way, and Jesus is the other way. Which way will you go? You must choose. Which way will it be? If you pursue your idol, know that you can't have your idol and Jesus. You might fool yourself, but you will not fool God. He is not mocked. We must follow him wholeheartedly or not follow him at all. Well, Pilate didn't get the response that he thought he would get from the people. They all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. I want to point out two things about this. If, if you've got your Bible open in front of you, depending on what kind of Bible you have, you, you might notice something. Uh, if you have uh, an English Standard Version Bible, like I do, uh, you'll notice that 
it goes from verse 16 to verse 18. And you say, why don't those people know how to count? If you've got a King James Version or a New King James Version like we have in the, in the pew racks, you'll, you'll see that there is a verse 17. It, it reads, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast, or one to them at the feast. Uh, basically, what, what happened here was, and, and many of the uh, manuscripts, the oldest and, and what most translators these days consider to be the most reliable manuscripts from which we translate the Bible, the, the wording that was verse 17 aren't in there. But when the King James was translated many years ago, uh, the, the manuscripts they were working from had those words in there. So the numbering wasn't something that was inspired by God. It was something that people came up with later. Uh, and they put that verse in there because they thought it was in there. Uh, many, most of the English translations that are more modern don't include that verse because we think most likely it's not part of the original text. It was likely a scribal note. Somebody was copying over the Bible from one copy to another copy and they wrote a, a moat maybe in the margin or, or right next to it uh, explaining because out of nowhere if you're like us for instance and you read that, that he, they want him to release this Barabbas, you're like, well, well wait, why, why do they get to just have a prisoner get released? That, that seems kind of odd. What, what's the deal? Well, well, there's this explanation. It was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. It was the tradition that, that he would each year release one prisoner to the people as sort of some kind of goodwill gesture, I guess. And so that's, that's what was happening there. And who was it that they, went, that they wanted him to send out? The second point here, Barabbas. Barabbas whose name literally means son of the father. Bar means son, Abba, father. Son of the father. He was a notorious criminal. He was imprisoned, as we see, for, for insurrection and for murder. He was a bad guy. This is not some kind of, you know, white-collar criminal who just did his young... No, this, this is a bad guy. But I want you to make this connection. Keep in mind what a bad guy Barabbas is. And then know this. You are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. We're all Barabbas. You know, we, we might not be quite as bad as Barabbas, but God has made it quite clear that we are just as guilty as Barabbas in Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard it said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And James says, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point becomes accountable for it all. He says to break the law in one place makes you accountable for the whole law. It's kind of like if you were hanging from a chain with a thousand links in it. And the chain, just at one link, snapped in half. Just broke. You're going to fall, aren't you? But, but only one link broke. The other 999 are still perfectly sound. It doesn't matter. The chain is broken because of one break. And so it is with the law. If we break the law, even in one place, we have broken the law. We are accountable 
to the law. We are guilty because what is required is perfect holiness, perfect righteousness, that which only Jesus has accomplished. So Pilate addresses them once more, desiring to release Jesus. They keep shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And a third time, what evil has he done? And, and I found no guilt. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. Their voices prevailed. And our first response as we see this should be, this is not justice. This is injustice at its height. It's terrible. How can this happen? Then we see that God is at work even in the midst of this injustice. Imagine the perspective of Barabbas, right? He is guilty. He deserves to be crucified. There is a cross on the hill awaiting him. Somebody comes and opens his jail cell. He is ready to be led away to be crucified. And they tell him, you're free to go. Imagine his surprise, his astonishment. What what do you mean I'm free to go? Are they going to have the lions chase me or something? (laughs) No, you're free to go. Another has taken your place. There is another who will hang on your cross. There is another who will pay a penalty that he does not deserve, the penalty that you do deserve. For Barabbas, the son of the father, is involved in a great exchange. He's involved in an exchange with the one who truly is the son of the father, the one who was accused of insurrection, who takes the place of the one who actually was an insurrectionist, the one who deserved to go free, taking the place of the one who actually did go free, the one who deserved to be condemned now instead sees Jesus actually condemned. It's a great reversal of places. Jesus and Barabbas switch places. Pilate condemns Jesus to death ultimately, and not just any death, but the death of the cross, the the most wretched, painful, torturous, ignominious, humiliating, accursed death imaginable. Just think about it without getting too graphic. Just consider what what Jesus went through. He he ultimately goes through being scourged where where the whip will tear the flesh off of his back. He is nailed to the cross, the spikes shattering the bones of his arms and his feet as he is pierced and nailed to the cross. He ultimately dies on the cross And you die on a cross through suffocation, actually, is what happens. Your lungs fill up with fluids and and, and you can't get your breath. And he ultimately suffocates and dies. It's an incredibly painful death, an incredibly torturous death. But not just torturous and painful, it's it's humiliating. It's it's humiliating. We look at the pictures that that we see in, in Renaissance art and Jesus is hanging there on the cross, or perhaps you've seen on a crucifix. Jesus there with his loincloth on, and and that's all he's wearing. But when they crucified people, they didn't give them the loincloth. 
They, they didn't have the modesty involved there. The idea was to humiliate the person as much as possible. Jesus hung there on the cross completely naked, no covering, completely exposed. And as I thought about that this week, I thought about Adam in the garden and why was it that he hid from God in the garden? Genesis 3.10, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And what does God do? God graciously gave Adam and Eve garments of skin, we're told, and he clothed them. Garments of skin that must have come from an animal. It must have come from an animal that was slain so that they could have those garments of skin. An animal that was innocent, that had done nothing wrong, that was sacrificed for them. An innocent animal sacrificed that they might be clothed, that they might be covered. And it is the same with Jesus, an innocent lamb of God sacrificed for us that we might be covered by his righteousness, that we might have his righteous robes wrapped around us, he taking on our nakedness, our humiliation, our shame, and being cursed for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It's the great exchange. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He truly is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Barabbas goes free. Jesus goes to the cross. Jesus goes to the cross. You and I go free. If only we trust in him. If only we trust in him as our atoning sacrifice, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As we sang earlier today, oh, come to the Father through Jesus, the Son, and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Would you pray with me?